Good morning, everybody. I'm gonna like set up all my notes that I'm actually gonna try to look at this time because half the time I just like bring them up and then they're just there for moral support. So give me a second here. Okay, so as you heard, I'm on the cross country and track team. And I don't know about y'all, but at least according to my sister, running for fun is a little crazy. <laughs> but I love running. Ever since I was little, I was that kid on the playground that like convinced everybody to uh, play tag just so I could remind them all I'm faster than them. Just needed them to remember that I was the reigning champ. <laughs> and so I tried to run every opportunity I had. I felt like it was the one thing that I knew I could do well. The one thing that I actually had power over. I had the blessing and the curse of being one of those kids that would move like every two years for the most part. And so whenever I felt overwhelmed about not being able to do things, I recognized that the one thing I could do was run. I got to choose where I went and I got to choose how fast I could go and I got to do it because I wanted to. So I felt this power that I had whenever I ran. And it felt like a breath of fresh air. So in middle school, I got the chance for the first time to actually be on a track team, which was pretty exciting because I'm the youngest of five kids. And so I had grown up seeing all of my siblings like do these really fancy things in sports and specifically track with like their cool jerseys and they could go on the bus. And I was blessed to have some really good athletes in my family. Like my brother was this stud athlete from like kindergarten till forever. And so I grew up watching him get these medals and stand on the pedestal. And then my sister decided one year, she was like, yeah, I'll try it out. And she was an incredible pole vaulter. Okay, okay, okay. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Oh, it's closer to me now. Okay, we're gonna roll with that. And she was an incredible uh, pole vaulter and she was amazing. And then my dad was the athletic director for my school, so he also was aware of all the different sports and knew all of the coaches and was friends with them. They'd come over to my house. And then my mom, the cherry on top of the cake, was a track star in high school and in college, as well as her parents. They were coaches and track stars. So I say this all to say that whenever I had an opportunity in middle school to finally be on a track team, I was so excited. I recognized that this was my moment to take the one thing I felt like I could do well and run with it, if you will, to really prove everyone in my family right, to show them that it's not just everyone else here that's fast and that's good. I'm about to show up in my own right, in my own way, and I'm going to compete with something that I can do all on my own, in my own power. But as fate would have it, or better yet, as God would have it. Around middle school was also the time when I got these cute little things called panic attacks, which if you don't know what they are, that's awesome. I cannot relate. <laughs> um, they basically are like an anxiety attack, but it's more intense. You feel like you're dying, even though you know that doesn't make sense. And for me specifically, it was triggered by a shortness of breath. And basically, if I did anything that made me feel like I couldn't breathe, the way panic attacks work is it's like a spiral. So I'd be like, oh, no, I can't breathe. That's kind of weird. And then after a while, I'd be like, oh, I still can't breathe. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to die. My lungs have stopped working, and my heart is beating too fast, and I'm about to see my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so 
At this point in my life, I had no idea that that's what a panic attack was. All I knew was that I was on my first day of middle school track, about to show everyone how amazing I was, and two reps in, I all of a sudden was walking back to my coach to start the third rep, and I didn't know why my lungs were stuttering. I didn't understand why my legs weren't moving and why all of a sudden I was crying. And I don't know what your experience was in middle school, but I wanted to be cool, and I was not. And so on my way back to my coach, by the time I get there, which I don't know if you've ever seen a track, but you kind of like walk across a little green part to get back to the other side. I was bawling, okay? My legs were like jelly and I was hyperventilating. And my nose, of course, the coolest middle school thing, just a faucet. And so I'm rolling over there and all these other middle schoolers who are obviously tired, they just ran two reps, so looking at me like, you good, bro? And I'm actively like, no, <laughs> And so I'm trying to pull myself together because, like I told you, my whole family is like these stud athletes specifically in track, and they have all these high hopes for what I'm going to be. And two reps into my practice, I'm next to my coach in the grass, on all fours, with snot falling off my face, looking at the grass, just, you know, watering it because I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I was sitting there as my coach tried to do, you know, like the coach thing where they're like, you can do it, this is your moment. And I was like, coach, uh, this is my moment to die. <laughs> but I couldn't talk. I was hyperventilating and I couldn't see because I was crying. And I realized at a certain moment that my coach, probably rightly so, can't imagine being a middle school coach, God bless you kind of was like, you know what, she's not moving. So everyone else got on the line. They finished practice. As I sat there in the grass next to them, crying and snotting everywhere. And it'd be fine if I told you the story and was like, but I grew from this, and my era is an era of triumph. That's not the story. <laughs> um, I'm blessed, like I told you, to have a dad as an athletic director. So when I went to him and said, dad, this is like the fourth time it's happened at practice. I'm, you know, crying, I'm snotting, I can't breathe, I don't know what's wrong with me, because I didn't know panic attacks were things. So I was just like, something's wrong, I gotta get out of track. He said, <laughs> we're not quitters, so I'm gonna finish out that season. And so I went to every practice, and every practice I remember, I would do one rep, three tops, go next to the coach, and have my panic attack. So everyone on the team would, you know, they were trying to be nice, but also it's middle school, no one's really nice. They would look at me and recognize whenever I started to like hyperventilate and breathe heavy, they were like, oh, it's happening, it's happening. And I would have to be on all fours in front of my whole team, snotting and crying in front of them. And I don't know if you remember what I talked about when I first got up here, but running was my thing. Running was my identity, it was my power, it was the one thing that no matter how people remembered me, I was the sister of the stud track star, I was the daughter of the athletic director, I was the daughter of this woman who was incredible in college. I could run on my own right. But here I was, day after day after day, on my knees, not able to run. I was powerless. I felt like God gave me a gift and then all of a sudden it was ripped away and I didn't understand why. And I found myself in a situation that I feel like is pretty merited. 
that once I finished that season, I was like, oh, okay. I will never put myself in a situation like that again. I will never put myself in a situation where I have to compete on a track. Because if I remember the fear and the powerlessness that I felt in that moment, while people next to me just stood there and watched, I don't think I can make it. And I'll be honest, I'm pretty proud of this, even though it's a bit dysfunctional. That promise as a middle schooler was kept for eight whole years. <laughs> I kept that vow to myself that I made out of fear, because according to me, it was a really good plan. I mean, yes, it meant that whenever people told me I was a good athlete, I didn't believe them. Yes, it meant that whenever people told me I was fast and I was disciplined, I didn't believe them. It meant whenever they said I was a good teammate and I did everything I could for everybody else, I said, you didn't know what I looked like on the side of that track. You didn't know what it felt like to know that you're the best and like that. It didn't matter. And if you did know, let me tell you, you wouldn't tell me those things. No matter how good I am in basketball, no matter how good I am in softball, no matter how adequate I am at soccer, I know I'm not really that good because I know what that moment of fear did to me. It robbed me. And I don't know about y'all, but I assume not all of you um, have an experience specifically with track. But I think we've all had an experience with fear. That moment that we don't talk about with our friends no matter how close we are with them because we're like, I remember <laughs> what it was like. I remember how powerless I was, and I know that I don't look the best in that part of the story. I don't want to retell that part of the story because, frankly, I don't like to remember it. And I think that part of the story sometimes, that moment of fear, becomes an era of fear. Like I mentioned earlier, that moment of fear turned into eight years of me refusing to step onto a track. In fact, I went to the same middle school and high school, and I had to drive past the track that I just told you that fun little story about, and every time I drove past it to go to a softball field, nowhere even close to the track, I would hyperventilate. Like, I was terrified. But I just kept telling myself, you know, it's not a fear thing, okay? You know, like, I'm not, I'm not being aggressive about this. Honestly, I'm being logical, okay? I'm being realistic. I'm not limiting myself, no, no. I'm setting a ceiling because I know what my limits are now because of that moment of fear. That's a gift that I was given. And I think sometimes that voice we think is good is just honestly a dirty liar. <laughs> and we have to call it out on that. I was sitting in this era of fear for eight years, right? Starting middle school, which means fast forward eight years, a sophomore in college, and the first thing that helped me to wake up and realize that I was in an era I didn't want to be in, one defined by fear, was when I was honest with myself, that I wasn't being logical, I wasn't being realistic, I was being afraid, and that I allowed that fear to define everything about me my expectations and my identity, 
I let it define whenever other people tried to tell me good things about myself, I didn't have any of it. And the scariest thing for me was when I was really honest with myself, I realized that I trusted my fear more than I trusted God. That era of fear had taught me that whenever everything comes crashing down, whenever everything collapses, my first go-to, my first defense is running to fear. That was terrifying. The fact that I called myself a Christian, especially like two years into going to a Christian university, but I didn't trust God more than I trusted fear. But as soon as I realized that, I was blessed to also realize how much I needed God. And it reminded me specifically of this verse in James 4, verse 7. And I'm going to use the message version because I feel like it's like a little more. But it says, so let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Oh, things are moving. (laughs) My era of fear only began to shift when I had the strength to say a quiet yes to God. I definitely am not looking at this, so I have no idea what's happening. Okay, there you go. One more. Okay, never mind. We're staying here. Okay. So, basically, sorry, I got off track. Um... I was only able to shift out of that era of fear whenever I recognized that I was in need of something. I was in need of God. And as soon as I realized that, God got to work. But I don't want to pretend like this was something that I was able to pray over. And after many days of discipline and hard work, it all came together. <laughs> now, okay, this is eight years of fear. This, this girl's still working on it. And I wouldn't have even been able to step into something else if I didn't have help. And I think that's another lie I kind of wanted to knock off in that we need help to step out of fear. And we need help to step into faith. And so whenever I was writing a lot (laughs) and throwing away a lot too, sorry, hopefully I'm not talking too much. I realized that there are like three things that I found help in that I think were the most crucial. Oh yeah, this is a great quote that I forgot about. Thank you, slide people. Um, Yeah, so kind of going off of help, um, it says unless your purpose pushes you past yourself, it's just a good purpose, not a godly purpose. So whenever I was walking into a different era, it's easy to kind of be like, okay, I'm gonna pull myself up by my own bootstraps, right? Like, I'm not gonna use help, but you can do that. And it might be good. It won't be as godly, though. And so, going on, three areas of help. So, the first area of help that I sorely needed to help getting out of the era of fear I was in was a lot of prayer. And it wasn't pretty prayer, it, it was ugly prayer. I was yelling a lot, I was crying a lot, snotting a lot, kind of, you know, hearkening back to how it all began. <laughs> and I was really intentional about telling God everything, about how scared I was and about how I didn't trust him and about how I didn't know where to go from there, but if he was willing to stay with me through it, then I was willing to stay too. 
And that gave me enough courage to continue going forward, even if I didn't know where I was going. The second area of help that I encourage everyone to look into if you're realizing you're afraid is wise mentors. I couldn't name off every person around me that was a wise mentor, but let me tell you, there were a lot. Specifically, when I'm thinking of my whole issue with track, the whole issue I began with, I have an amazing mom that at the end of sophomore year, I basically looked at her and I said, I'm too scared to step on a track, but I don't want to be ruled by fear anymore. And she said, oh, that's a great point. I guess we're doing track workouts now. And she became my track coach for that whole summer. And every time I wanted to give up, she reminded me that I wasn't walking in fear. I was walking in faith and to get back on the line and dodge my own throw up, which I did. So sometimes you need a wise mentor that believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Then fast forward to the beginning of my junior year, I had just enough faith to tippy toe into Coach Carver's office. And it wasn't like a, I know I'm good at running and you should take me because I was killer at tag in kindergarten. No, it was like a, hey, so sorry, so sorry. Can I sit here? Thank you. I was just wondering if it would be okay if maybe possibly I thought about maybe running on your team. Which again, find wise mentors that believe in you before you believe in yourself. Because when I tell you that man literally said, okay, we're um, going to a cross country retreat in three days, I'll see you there. I said, <laughs> Ground country? I don't even know how to run like more than a 200. Didn't matter. I was there. And I began to start my era of faith. And this last part, I know I've been mumbling a lot and I'm a little nervous and so maybe I've been everywhere. But if you hear nothing else, this is what you need to remember. Help from friends. My goodness, like I can't even begin to talk about Oh, I might cry. Can't even begin to talk about like how important it is that we're blessed to be on a campus where we get to literally live with our friends, which sometimes we hate because noise complaints, but sometimes we love, you know what I'm saying? And the amount of times, like on my first track meet, which if you don't know, you go like do indoor track meets, so like you can't run away to the outside because you're inside. And on the first indoor track meet, I literally looked in the door, saw the track, beelined for the bathroom and vomited in a toilet. Because <laughs> I said I couldn't do this. And then my friend Timmy came in with a banana and said, you need to eat. <laughs> and I went back out there and almost vomited again. And then my friend Ash and Amber told me to take a rubber band <laughs> and just keep turning it in my hands until it made more sense. I think that sometimes, when we're so used to being afraid, we want to give up because we're used to giving up. It's easy to say that, no, you don't get it, I'm not a track person. I don't run far distances. I'm not meant to get A's, okay? I'm not meant to finish college. I'm not meant to go on and do good things. You don't get it, I'm dumb. Which is why God gave us friends why he gave us mentors and why he gave us prayer. To remind us in those moments that no matter what we feel, no matter how scared we are, we're not walking by fear, we're walking by faith. 
I think I'm blessed to say I'm still in an era of faith where most of the time I have no idea what's happening. But God still blesses me in that. And I wanted to kind of harken back to something that I know for sure is true. So rolling back to scripture. <laughs> in Ephesians 3, um, verse 20, there's a verse that I think at least I've heard a lot. And it's this whole verse that says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And like many times when I hear this verse, it says something along the lines of like, to the God who is able to do far more than we could ever ask for or imagine. And when I was thinking about everything I just told you, that's what it is. I was in this era of fear where I put constraints on myself and then God walked me into an era of faith where all of a sudden I was receiving friendships and opportunities and, and love that I never would have asked for or imagined. But there's more. <laughs> that specific verse is actually the end of a prayer that the author of Ephesians is giving to the people in this letter. And I thought there was no better way than to read this prayer over all of you. And so, oh, 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 look, we went back to the baby pictures. That's so cute, that's so quirky. These are me when I'm tiny. Thought I got out of that. There we go, okay. So, no, let's go past that. That's a middle school picture of me. I wish, yeah, okay. And those are all the family people. This is so cute, y'all are so sweet. This is me dodging track in every way possible. Go softball team, we love it. Okay, I'm gonna start reading. Please stop going through the photos so we don't have to go through that. Okay, cool, thank you. Um, I wanna read this prayer over you. And in my Bible, at least, it's called a prayer for spiritual strength. And so, yes, please pray with me. <laughs> for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>